So were any of you at this morning service? Anyone here? Yeah, a few of you. Okay, so you will have heard the amazing Mark Henley preaching on, um, what is it, the hand grenade of Antioch. Was that good? And I really, really, really would recommend that you listen to the podcast on that one. Um, Both he and I got Galatians 1 to preach on, and we're we're starting um, a study going through Galatians over this term. And uh, and I thought, I am not going to compete with Mark. So... (laughs) Because you all know, A, what an amazing Bible teacher is. And if I tell you, you you'll be really sorry you missed it, because of those of you who weren't there, basically there was a lot of whizzling lights and kind of music and whatever. And Mark comes running up, because his wife said, hello, Anne, comes running up the middle wearing American uh, football gear <laughs> with Sermonator across his T-shirt. So you really missed something this morning, I'm afraid. So I'm really glad that I'm not competing with Mark. If you want a very good introduction... And setting the scene to Galatians, Galatians 1. Please listen to Mark's um, preach on the podcast. It's absolutely worth it. I decided I was just going to preach on one verse from Galatians 1. So we're not going to kind of put it up or anything. And I'm going to be looking at Galatians 1.3, which says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And my preach is called amazing grace, nothing more, nothing less. Because actually, that's one of the main themes of Galatians. Paul, when he's talking to the Galatians, he's talking to them about freedom. He's talking to them about the importance of not trying to change the gospel or to add things to the gospel, the good news. Paul knew that all you need is grace. Grace, nothing more, nothing less. And so as we go through Galatians, I think that's something that you will see. And it's a place I really wanted to start. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is part of Paul's greeting to the church in Galatia. And it's actually a very familiar one. If you uh, kind of read the other letters, what you'll find is about 12 times in the New Testament, he'll either use that greeting or one very similar to it. Grace and peace are very much at the heart of the Christian message, and they are at the center of Paul's teachings. And he uses the the word grace more than a hundred times in his writings, and he uses the word peace more than 45 times. So you can see how important they are to him. Paul is sometimes described as the apostle of grace. He's also, I think, the apostle of peace. And he brings those two things together, first grace and then peace. And that's the right order because grace always brings blessings and benefits with it. And peace is one of those blessings and benefits of his grace. And we have to know and understand his grace before we can have true peace or any of the other benefits like joy and righteousness. Grace also brings freedom, and I'll be preaching on that later in the year when we get to Galatians 5. But for this evening, I'm going to stick to these two words, grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So grace and peace were very common Greek and Hebrew uh, greetings, respectively, in Paul's day. But what Paul does is he brings them together and he changes something. He changes the Greek word for grace from chairo to charis. And chairo, when that was used as a greeting, what it kind of meant was something like, 
be well, be happy, or even sort of in modern day parlance, have a nice day now. That was the kind of meaning, meaning of, the, of the word Cairo when they used it. Paul uses the word charis instead. And what that is, is it's the unmerited blessings and favor of God given to believers in Christ. So what Paul is saying as he greets them in his letter is, I want you to know and receive all the blessings and free gifts given to you in Christ. And so he changes what's quite a shallow greeting into an opportunity to remind them just what is theirs. And actually, that's really important because as we look through Galatians, what we find is they seem to have forgotten exactly what that meant, what it meant, the grace of God, and what the, what the blessings were that it brought. And Mark talks about that in his preach from this morning. Now, peace is the Greek word irene. And Paul uses it with the same meaning as the Hebrew word shalom. And what shalom means is it means tranquility of soul. It means wholeness. It means prosperity. It means security. It means contentment. And it means peace. So it's a much bigger word than our, perhaps our idea of what peace is. When we understand and know his grace, one of the benefits is that we have tranquility of soul we have wholeness, we have prosperity, we have security, we have contentment. And we understand that grace is more than enough to meet all our, our needs. Now, we ought to understand what the grace of God is, oughtn't we? Because it's a word we hear a lot from the pulpit. It's um, a word we hear a lot in Christian circles, and we read it a lot in the word as well. And I've heard lots of different ways of explaining what grace means. One evangelical dictionary of theology says, grace is the unmerited favor of God towards man, which is a pretty good definition, the unmerited favor of God towards man. And some people use an acronym. They use the acronym GRACE, God's riches at Christ's expense. You heard that one. And that's good because it, it, it kind of reduces the importance of Christ's sacrifice for us as a means of grace. So that's good too. But there's more to grace than that. Actually, it's impossible to get really to the depths of God's grace. But we first experience God's grace when we're saved. It's first experienced at salvation. At least that's when we become aware of it. Although probably if uh, many of us look back to before we knew him, we could see the work of God in our lives, even before we knew what his grace was. I recently read a book um, called The Salt Path which is um, by somebody called Raina Wynn. And it's the true story of how Raina and her husband, Moth, slightly strange name, but that's what she calls him, um, age 50, they, they lose everything. They lose their business um, due to a bad business decision they made. They, they lose their business, they lose their house, and in the same week, they discover that Moth has an incurable disease called CBD. And it's a kind of nasty degenerative thing, which eventually robs you of movement and has, um, uh, has the effect of something like Alzheimer's. So it's a bit like getting something like motor neuron disease and Alzheimer's all at the same time. It can't be cured. It's, it's rare. And they were told that it would probably kill him within two years. And in desperation, with absolutely nothing, they set off with only £48 a week in benefits between them age 50, one of them in not a very good condition, neither of them fit, to walk the southwest coast path from Somerset through Cornwall and Devon, a distance of 630 miles. And um, Raina says that it, it was desperation. It wasn't a bucket list thing. It wasn't of, well, let's take this opportunity. 
Uh, it sounds crazy, but that's what they did. Now, they're not Christians. So, you know, why am I mentioning them? Well, the thing that really struck me when I read the book was how much the grace of God you could read in those pages. Now, they don't recognize that. They don't see that. But for me, I mean, it was, it was incredible, really. Even early on, they met some interesting characters on their walk on this path. And um, one, one chap suddenly said to them as they were leaving, um, having sort of met this guy as they were leaving him, he said, you're going to walk with tortoises. Well, they're like, yeah, we meet some interesting characters. If I tell you that right at the end, as they were kind of finishing their journey, and they weren't really wanting to finish it because, you know, it was like, well, now what are we going to do next? They saw a guy over on top of the kind of cliff, and he got this rope. And they're saying, thinking, what is, what's he got on that rope? As they got nearer, guess what it was? It was a tortoise. He was taking his tortoise for a walk. And they went for a walk with this guy and his tortoise. And, you know, if we were talking about that in Christian circles, what would we say? We'd say that was a prophetic word. Now, I have no idea, probably they don't, whether the guy that spoke to them was a Christian, possibly was. But the grace of God was on what happened to them. Also, right at the end of the journey, they, um, it's raining and they're wanting to kind of get out of the rain. And... Um, having done all these miles. And a um, lady who was running a restaurant kind of took pity on them and kind of gave them a cup of tea. And she asked them their story. They got a bit wary about sharing their story because they said, if they'd say to people, well, we've sold our house up, we're kind of, you know, um, decided we're going to walk the path and sort of do the... Then people go, oh, it's amazing you do that. If you say, well, we're homeless, people take the children away. I mean, they literally had that happen. And so they got very wary of sharing their story um, because of the way people reacted to, to them. But they told this lady a story. And she said, well, I have this very small place in Polruan, which is a tiny, tiny cottage, uh, tiny um, Cornish village opposite Foy. You might know Foy. And she said to them, I'm just about, the tent's about to move out. It's really tiny. It's not much there. Um, but if you want to move in there, you can. Now, if I tell you five years, well, five, nearly six years later, um, this guy is still alive. He's not quite as well as he, as he was, but he's still alive. He's managed to do a degree at the Eden Project. And she's become a well-known authoress, having written this book, which is worth a read, this, uh, called The Salt Path. And there were lots of other things. As I read through this, I'm thinking, do you know, I could see the grace of God all over it. But they don't recognize it. They don't see it. But God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And our good, good father, he longs for his creation to receive his grace, his love, and to know who they are. And I finished that book praying that they would recognize the God of grace themselves. And if I look back you know, to when I was a child, um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And um, there's kind of quite a lot of stuff going on, uh, quite a lot of difficulty in my, in my home at the time. And I used to kind of disappear into, um, into books because that was my safe place. So I would just read anything and everything, including kind of sneaking into my mother's bedroom and stealing her library books when she wasn't around, which wasn't good because I sometimes read things which are not suitable, let me tell you, for a, a nine-year-old, but there you go. Um, but what I did read, what I did get hold of, were the Narnia books by C.S. Lewis. 
And I still remember being underneath the bedclothes with my torch because I wasn't allowed to be reading that time of night, reading about Aslan, the lion, dying, and the tears just rolling down my face and feeling there was something more to it, that I wasn't just crying because it was a sad story. And when I became a Christian years later, I can look back and I can see how the love of C.S. Lewis, the people that God brought into my life, the things that kind of happened were all part of God's grace for me. So although I say kind of grace starts with salvation, actually it's really the knowledge of God's grace. And that special grace that you can, you can access as a Christian starts with creation. But God's grace is there for the world if it, if it would only see it. And we have common grace. We have the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We have the sun that comes up in the morning. We have all the amazing, beautiful things about our world that is God's grace. The fact that we're still spinning in space, we're here, that's God's grace. And so often we forget that. We forget to, forget to thank him, not only for the grace of, of our salvation in him, but also the common grace that we all share, the wonderful world that he has um, created for us. God gave himself so that we could have forgiveness, acceptance, salvation, redemption, reconciliation, adoption. They're all part of the grace of God. But there's more, because grace doesn't stop with salvation. Grace continues to grow throughout our whole lives as son or daughter of the king. And spiritual growth doesn't happen overnight for us. We know that. But did you know that your destiny is that you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? It tells us that in 2 Peter 3.18. We're meant to grow in grace and knowledge. We will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as that happens, it's grace that transforms our desires, our motivations, and our behavior. And in fact, it's God's grace that empowers us to live out our faith and our calling and our destiny in him. We so often think it's about us, don't we? But actually, it's about him. I remember having a conversation with somebody who was really concerned that they were going to miss their kind of destiny in him. They were going to miss what he got for them. And I'm like, who do you think cares more about your destiny, you or the father? The father does. Now, obviously, you know, we have to want it. But this, this person's heart was like, I really want to get all that God's got for me. Like, you really want to get all God's got for you. You're going to get it because God cares about that even more than you do. Do you want to reign in life? Yes. Yes. I hope so. Do you want to live not blown about by circumstances, knowing who you are? living in tranquility of soul rather than in anxiety? Do you want to be secure and content? Do you want to be sure of your value and your purpose? Romans 5.17 tells us who reigns in life. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We live every single day by the grace of God. The Bible says that it's grace that strengthens us in 2 Timothy 2.1. The Bible tells us that his grace is sufficient for us. Sufficient means it's enough. And in fact, it's more than enough. Because 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, God will make all grace abound towards you. Now, I had to look up the word abound because it's not 
quite sort of word we use today, is it? I mean, I had, don't laugh, but I had sort of visions of like rabbits bounding kind of along. You know, grace is kind of bounding towards you. And in a, in a sense, it is bounding towards you because God's heart is that we receive his grace. But what it means is it means that we have large amounts of grace, abundant grace, overflowing grace. Why does he give us so much grace? So that we'll have more than we need to bless others and for whatever he calls us to. That's my paraphrase, but that's what it means. So grace is experienced at salvation. We live every day by grace and with his grace flowing through us and overflowing from us. And then finally in heaven, throughout eternity, we will continue to know and experience the riches and the benefits of his grace. And so it's not surprising that when Paul is speaking to the elders of the church in Ephesus in Acts 20, he calls it the gospel of grace. And why he's so astonished that the Galatians who started with grace would turn to any other form of gospel, which it says in Galatians 1.6. Because Paul knew that it was grace, only grace, nothing more, nothing less was required. In chapter 2 of Galatians, he makes it clear and he tells them, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And he goes on a little later to say, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And Mark put it sort of beautifully this morning when he was talking about that, because he he said that um, the law was never meant uh, to uh, sort of stand up there as a way that we could kind of, you know, work out, how to kind of get around our sin. It was only there as a diagnostic tool. It's there to show us our sin, to show us that we can't really match up to what God requires. And the the amazing thing is that we don't have to because God has done it all through Jesus Christ, through grace. We can't add in any way to our salvation by one single thing that we do. All we can do is rely on his grace. And when he says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. In other words, when we add anything to, to grace, when we bring in a bit of legalism here or there, where we feel that you know, we need to earn God's favor or God's acceptance, then we invalidate what Christ did for us on the cross. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we lose our salvation when we step out of grace. We absolutely do not lose our salvation. But when we step outside of that grace, it's always to our detriment. Remember I said that peace is a benefit that we lose through grace. Well, peace is often something that we lose if we step outside of grace. And instead of peace sitting down at our table, we have anxiety or even fear sometimes. You know the story of Mary and Martha in um, Luke chapter 10. When um, Jesus and his disciples turn up, Martha gets very upset. She gets herself into an anxious state and she's very resentful of her sister because she feels that her sister Mary has just left her to get on with all the preparations, you know, preparing a meal and so on. But what does Jesus say to her in verse 41? He says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. What was it that Mary was doing? She was sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him. She was sitting in a place of grace. She didn't think she had to do anything to please him. 
She just stayed in his presence and listened. It was her place of peace. It was her place of tranquility. It was her place of wholeness. It was her place of prosperity and contentment. Martha, however, was caught up in her idea of what Jesus needed her to do for him. Because it wasn't what Jesus had asked or wanted. And so Martha ended up losing her peace. Peace left the table for her and anxiety sat down in its place. Now, we would never do that, would we? You know, um, so many times I have people come and see me who are overwhelmed with circumstances. And often I hear those people use certain words. They'll say, I should or I must. And I have to say, I've done it myself sometimes. I'm sure, you know, many of you can relate to the shoulds and the musts. But, you know, actually, there are very few true shoulds or musts. There are many I cans. And what do I mean with that? What's the difference? And how does that relate to staying in a place of grace and peace? Well, where does I should and I must come from? It's not usually from a place of peace. It's more often from a place of condemnation, guilt or shame. What people are often saying is, if I were good enough, if I were loving enough, if I were a better person, if I spent more time praying, if I got up at 6am and had a quiet time, if, if, if. But, you know, Christians can burn themselves out by trying to do enough, but never feeling enough is good enough. I should or I must too often comes from our ideas of what we should do or what Jesus wants us to do, rather like Martha. Sometimes it comes from our ideas of what we think other people expect of us. So it may come from the fear of man. I'll be rejected if I don't do what I'm asked. You know, fear that I won't be included or that in some way I won't fit in. But you see, I can is different. Someone who says I can recognizes who they are in Christ and what they have within them. I can is about knowing what he's calling you to do and also the things he isn't calling you to do. I can is a choice that a free man or woman um, can make free of the fear of man. And when we sit at his feet and we listen, then we know what is ours to do and what isn't. We learn how to make the right choices and we don't become anxious and lose our peace. We stay in that place of grace. Paul is very clear in his um, letter when it comes to the fear of man. In verse 10 of chapter 1, he says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Fear of man keeps us from operating out of a place of grace. It's also too easy um, to try and reach the goals and the kind of finish lines God has for us in the power of our own strength. But my goodness, that is a real killer, and we don't realize how dangerous it is. How many Christian leaders have burnt out through doing it in their own strength and ended up either leaving the ministry and turning their back on faith or hitting the self-destruct button of an affair or financial irregularity? When I do stuff in my own strength, I'm not the only one who loses out. So do my family. So do my brothers and sisters in Christ. Because the Father has made me to operate through the power of his grace in me. And his grace in me causes me to operate in his power. We need his grace in us to operate in the power that he gives. Acts 4.33, with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Great power, great grace on the apostles. 
And the apostles' power came from the grace of God flowing through them. And it's where your power and my power come from as well. So what I need to do, everything that I need to do, needs to come from a place of grace in his strength, not mine. And sitting at his feet allows me to hear his heart and operate out of what he's doing, not what I think I should be doing. So I'm going to ask you a question. Where are you operating from right now? Where are you living your life from right now? From his grace and his power or from your own strength? What is it that you don't need to be doing right now? Grace is also something that we can impart to others. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. When we speak to others, whatever it is, I mean, he's talking here in, in, in kind of... Um, answering answering people but actually it's more than that it's you know when we're speaking to people are we speaking with grace what does it mean to speak with grace grace means what unmerited favor forgiveness love a desire to reconcile and we can either choose to release good positive and edifying words to people to help build them up and to know who they are in christ or we can choose to release negative words cold words harsh words condemning words And pessimistic words, discouraging words, words that wound. But when we choose to build people up by our words, it's like we release God's grace over them. Now, I know that the place that it can be hardest to choose to release good, positive words all the time are in our own families, with your spouse. I'm just being honest here. The person I find most difficult to continually give those lovely, good, positive words to is is my husband because he knows me best and I know him best we know all those little foibles and kind of weaknesses and things and um and so my challenge for me personally is always God you know let me speak grace over my family as well as you know everyone else that I meet words of grace that are going to build them up and encourage them I know that whenever I've succeed really succeeded at something in my life it's been helped along by encouraging words of others and by knowing that other people have faith in me. That's not the same as um, uh, kind of fear of man. It's, 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 it's just that sort of knowledge. That actually, other people believe in you. And that helps you to believe in yourself. And we release grace as we model it in our own lives as well. You know, sin does not have dominion over us anymore. Grace is there to free us from the slavery of sin and enable us to leave God, lead godly lives. Again, you know, Mark mentioned this morning that, you know, it's not license. It's not, well, because of grace. We can just do anything we like. Because actually, grace is there to enable us to live free of slavery to sin. Okay, so we're nearly there. So I've said that grace is the unmerited favor and blessing of God, the means of our salvation through Christ. Great Grace enables us and empowers us to be and to do all God calls us to. And grace will lead us home to an eternity of the benefits of grace. Grace always brings benefits. Peace, joy, righteousness, freedom. Grace frees us from slavery to sin. Grace does not need anything adding to it. It's grace, nothing more and nothing less. And if we try to add anything else, then we lose its benefits. We are made to live our lives from a place of grace. Operating outside of his grace in our own strength causes us to lose those benefits of grace like peace and joy and miss some of the things that he has for us. God gives abundant, overflowing grace to his children. And finally, when we do step outside of his grace, there is always more grace. 
and he's always reaching out to draw us back. And that's the thing that should encourage us. Because what the enemy wants to do is when we step outside of his grace, the enemy just comes in with loads of condemnation. He says, you can't go back. You've stepped outside of God's grace. God isn't happy with you anymore. But actually, God is like the, the father, isn't he, with the prodigal son. He is constantly stretching out his hand and saying, come back into this place of grace. I have grace for you to step back into that place of grace. John Newton wrote the amazing hymn, Amazing Grace. And I don't know how much you know about John Newton, but he was born in 1725 in England. His father was a ship's captain, and John was sailing with him by the age of 11. At 19, he was press-ganged into the Royal Navy, which was basically how they got enough manpower in those days. They just grabbed you, took you on board, that was it. Um, a year later, he was able to transfer to a slave trading ship. By his own account, he lived an immoral life as a saviour. He would say that he had the ambition of Caesar to rank in wickedness. He was known as the great blasphemer because of his speech and how he tried to turn men from God. Finally, John turned to God as a terrible storm threatened to wreck their ship. He later said in one of his hymns, Sovereign grace has power alone to subdue a heart of stone. And the moment grace is felt, then the hardest heart will melt. He became an Anglican minister who impacted many lives, including that of William Wilberforce, who was instrumental in getting the anti-slavery bill passed. In fact, if it wasn't for John Newton, William Wilberforce, who was extremely discouraged, would probably have given up. What I want to... uh, Newton Newton never ceased to be amazed at the grace of God. And the hymn Amazing Grace is an expression of his heartfelt gratitude to the Father whose grace truly set him free. And what we're going to do is we're going to finish by listening to Darlene Sheck singing Amazing Grace in a moment. So feel free to stay in your seat, go lie down and soak if you prefer doing it that way. Whatever you want to do is fine. But as you listen, can I encourage you to first of all thank him for the amazing grace that you have in your life. And then think about any areas of your life where you know you aren't living from a place of grace and peace. And then finally ask him for the grace that you need, either to step back into that place of grace, or maybe you need grace for something else. Maybe you need grace for healing. Maybe you need grace for a job, you know, for, for provision, whatever it is. Ask him for the grace that you need. And then as you ask him, just visualize yourself taking his hand and stepping into that grace and finding the peace that he brings. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me.
My.